Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hello, this is Stem Cells at Lunch. My name is Matthew. I'm a PhD student at the Centre of Stem Cell and Regenerative Medicine. Today, I'm talking to Rod Weiss, a professor of biological engineering at the MIT. Good afternoon, Ron. Uh, we're very honoured to have you here with us. So um, you've been recognized as uh, one of the pioneers of synthetic biology. Um, can you explain briefly, especially to our lay audience, what is what do we mean by synthetic biology and what are the main areas? Thank you for the invitation. It's a, it's a pleasure to be able to interact with you. And I really enjoyed the uh, uh, interactions that I had during the stem cell lunch uh, seminar. And lots of great questions. So. For me, synthetic biology, the, the analogy that I like to use is this notion of genetically programming cells. Uh, I come from a computer science background, and so to me, it's kind of natural to, to use the, this notion of coming up with a program that uh, we want the cells to be able to execute. So the program is basically uh, behavior that we want to be able to encode. And so we, you know, let's say the cells have some kind of natural properties, they have some natural behaviors that they normally carry out. And in synthetic biology, we often think of ways by which we want to extend or modify the behavior of cells using, using this kind of notion of a program. So a program, what does that mean to have a program? It means that we want to be able to encode essentially a, a new set of rules that will drive activity inside the cells. What's the focus of your research? Like, what is the scientific question that's been driving your research so far? Uh, I got started in synthetic biology now uh, about a quarter century ago. So I remember the day where uh, I said, oh, you know, we might be able to program cells in the same way that we program computers. And this was when I was a graduate student with uh, Tom Knight and Jerry Sussman. And they had this really cool paper where they uh, basically articulated how you can build uh, a logic gate using gene regulation. And I said, this is the coolest thing ever. I, you know, I have to do this. And so the, the following day, after realizing that we can program, we might be able to program cells, I said, well, I really have to program human cells. I, you know, I just have to do that. Uh, and I want to do this for therapeutic purposes. And so I, I actually worked on, you know, I said, well, I can't really start with human cells to begin with. So I worked on bacteria, uh, bacterial synthetic biology for about 10 years. And after that, I said, okay, I'm ready to actually uh, begin to program human cells. So, the, you know, it's kind of a wide net of different areas where the common denominator is that we're all always using synthetic biology. We're always thinking about circuits that we can build that can change how we approach you know, cancer, vaccination, you know, regenerative medicine, drug discovery, uh, autoimmune diseases, uh, and so on. I've always been like fascinated by, you know, how we can uh, be able to understand the complexity of biology and engineer them to our own benefit. So I think this is really exciting work that you're doing here. Can you tell us a little bit more about like what kept you motivated down this uh, path or perhaps the most exciting finding or memorable experience throughout your scientific career up to this point? So I would say you know, remaining 
uh, so generally motivated in this notion of programming cells has been easy because as soon as uh, as soon as I realized that we can might be able to program cells, I said this is what I have to do. So I, I almost felt like I don't have a choice. I just this is just too cool too cool to pass up. Uh, but along the way, you know, you, there's definitely you know hills and valleys. You know, you realize that. You know, you set out to accomplish something, and it's not that easy. And so, you know, going back to when I just started, um, I, I spent about six months. So, you know, I was a PhD student, and I said, okay, I have to program cells. And what what do I have to do to program cells? I have to build a plasmid. I have to build a piece of DNA. You know, I then helped my uh, PhD advisor Tom Knight set up a wet lab in the computer science department, and it basically worked, you know, 24-7 uh, for six months trying to build my first plasmid. And so actually, and Tom Knight was, you know, right there in the lab too. I mean, it was just awesome to see him kind of, you know, work with, with him side by side, but it was frustrating. I mean, I was not able to build a plasmid for six months, and I was like, well, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should have stayed in computer science. And so to me, the first thing that I got super excited about about was the first plasmid that I built as a graduate student. Uh, so that was that was really fun um, and exciting. I would say after that, you know, being able to to build logic gates was the first, you know, the the next kind of you know big thing that I was excited about. That was really really the main components of my PhD. After that, um, kind of the next big thing for me was probably uh, two things, being able to build cascades of uh, logic circuits that we can get really nice digital behavior in E. coli, and then um, you know being able to create cell-cell communication mechanisms in, in bacteria to create spatial temporal patterns. You know, and, I, and those were super exciting to me. And I think since then, you know, I've been excited about many projects. Um, so, you know, just generally going into mammalian cells, being able to create circuits in mammalian cells that are actually work, being able to create a liver organoid, uh, and more recently, being able to create a variety of different gene sensors. So, yeah, so there's been a, a lot of fun uh, projects since then. I'm also wondering about, um, you know, what's your opinion on the future of, of synthetic biology? So are there any... Uh, upcoming technology that you're most excited about that you think will, you know, change a lot or, or contribute a lot to synthetic biology? Uh, there's just so many things going on in synthetic biology right now that there's so many different exciting directions. I mean, it's it's even difficult, you know, to keep up day to day with all the new synthetic biology devices that are coming out. Um, I, I, you know, from my perspective, uh, you know, we focus a lot on health-related applications. So, you know, my opinion is biased towards that. I do think that, you know, it's all, let me get back to that in a second. I do think that outside of health-related synthetic biology, there's some really exciting things going on, uh, you know, with bacterial synthetic biology, with being able to industrialize um, bacterial systems. I think another really exciting area is plant synthetic biology. So being able to uh, use synthetic biology to... Uh, engineer plants for particular properties. Uh, so we have some, you know, we're, we're helping one of uh, my collaborators, Jude Medford, she's, she's really one of the pioneers uh, in plants and biology. You know, 
but you know, for me in particular, the efforts that we focus on are more on health-related applications, and and it's really amazing to see, uh, you know, the the potential for using synthetic biology now in the clinic, and I, I think that whereas synthetic biology was really uh, restricted to to the lab, I think over the last few years you can see you know real applications that that could make it to the clinic within the next few years. And so these include uh, CAR T cells. So uh, the notion of using complex logic in CAR T cells for uh, cancer immunotherapy. I think that uh, another area for cancer immunotherapy is the notion of using synthetic biology for genetically programming oncolytic viruses. I think is gonna have uh, you know, impact in the, fu- in, in the near future. These are these are things that are really going to, uh, you know, make make it into the clinic. I really think uh, quite soon. Um, you know, we're working on programmable organoids, so the notion of using synthetic biology to to genetically engineer stem cells and induce pluripotency stem cells. You know, that's happening right now, and that's you know, with respect to using programmable organoids for drug discovery. That's that's again near term. That's not even medium term, and then using you know, uh, synthetic biology for, um, you know, uh, doing regenerative medicine, I think that that could happen in the medium term as well. And and kind of slightly longer uh, term would be uh, genetically encoding programs for cell-based therapies that are not cancer. So there's, you know, it's autoimmune diseases or uh, and so on. I think there, there's some really exciting opportunities there as well. It would be like a huge impact if this technology can actually go into clinic. And uh, to yeah, there are a lot of like unsolved uh, and unmet clinical needs that would be, require some kind of uh, scientific breakthrough. And I think like synthetic biology technologies can really bring bring us to there. So um, what do you think is like the biggest challenge? Yeah, so <laughs> there are a lot of challenges. <laughs> Even though there's, you know, there's tremendous progress that you see every day in synthetic biology, people don't realize how difficult it is <laughs> until you really get into the lab. Um, I think that, you know, being able to have predictable synthetic biology is kind of one of the holy grails. I mean, that's, uh, you know, and, that, and that's something that, you know, depending on the context, you know, that, that could be incredibly uh, challenging. So, you know, to have predictable synthetic biology in a petri dish, you know, is different than having it be, uh, you know, in you know, in a cell culture yeah, versus an in vivo environment versus in a patient. So I think that um, you know, being able to to design circuits that really have robust behavior uh, is generally generally you know one of the holy grails in synthetic biology. And so so you really want to think about ways by which uh, the systems that you design operate reliably and predictably, even though the cellular context and the multicellular context and the environment change. And, and I think this is, this is arguably one of the most important challenges in synthetic biology. How, how can we create reliable circuits despite the fact that the, the context in which they operate uh, can can change can change dramatically, and so and so I think it's really going to require uh, different abstractions 
different design principles that we that, than the ones we use in other engineering disciplines. We will benefit a lot from this technology. So um, a little bit of a, a, a personal question that, that I, well, I myself want to ask because like I come from a kind of a little bit of a data science background. So do you think this wave of data revolution, you know, generation of a huge amount of data, better computational power, you know, AI and so on, will have an impact on uh, the progress of synthetic biology? Absolutely. And I think it's a two-way street. I think that synthetic biology uh, would benefit tremendously from, you know, it's from big data, uh, from new, new ways of capturing data in high throughput fashion and new ways of analyzing uh, and getting a deeper understanding of data. And I, and I think, you know, at the same time, I think that synthetic biology, uh, if done properly, can also help us uh, in terms of big data, can help us, uh, you know, modulate systems in more sophisticated ways so that we can actually uh, achieve more and more relevant information. So, so I see the convergence between, you know, big data, machine learning, and, and new uh, bioinformatic technologies with, uh, with the engineering capabilities of synthetic biology as really the only way to the future. You know, and especially as we use synthetic biology in more and more complex environments, uh, you know, the incorporation of not just, you know, we don't want to think about synthetic biology as what is the circuit that you're building, but really what is the circuit that you're building and what is the context, what is the biological context in which you're building your circuits and what are the two-way interactions between the synthetic elements that you're building and the natural systems that they interact with. What are your uh, goals or the goals uh, of your lab in the coming years that uh, to, to contribute to this? Yeah, so, so we want to be able to sense anything in the cell, whether it's expression, you know, RNA, proteins, post-translational modification, metabolites, you know, things inside the cell, things, everything outside the cell. So we want to be able to nothing, no, you know, no, st you know, stone unturned, no, uh, everything that you can imagine in the cell. We want to be able to sense it. We want to then be able to uh, have mechanisms that take that sensory information and, and, able to you know detect and respond to it in you know both to what's going on now and what what's happened in the future and respond to it not just in terms of gene expression but you know other aspects post you know uh, translational post translational modifications and so be able to you know everything that the cell naturally does we want to be able to also do synthetically uh, and maybe even more um, and then you know, uh, think about how we can go beyond, you know, what, you know, not just recapitulate biological systems, but, but advance them beyond what they're able to do. So, so can we, you know, create programmable organoids that have functions that go beyond what their natural organoids are able to do? With all those capabilities in mind, we definitely are very interested in taking these uh, to the clinic and really helping patients. You know, how, how can we use you know, synthetic biology for improving gene therapy? 
how can we use synthetic biology for improving cell-based therapy? I see that you're also a co-founder of a biotech uh, therapeutics company. So I'd like to, I'd love to hear about like what the company does and uh, perhaps what motivated you to push forward the, the translation of your research. I was generally interested in uh, translation of our technologies uh, from the lab to, you know, to industry, you know, since the beginning, but we really weren't in a position uh, to do that until much more recently. And I think that, you know, as we, you know, as we as a lab, and I would say uh, as a community, were able to overcome some of the initial challenges in mammalian synthetic biology, it became possible to think about translating various technologies in the lab uh, to to startups and, and industry. And so with, uh, you know, and I'm engaged in several different efforts still ongoing to try to translate existing uh, technologies in the lab to industry. Uh, Strand in particular, you know, um, the efforts really I owe uh, a lot of gratitude to uh, former graduate student in the lab, uh, Jake Beecraft, and a former postdoc in the lab, uh, Tsuku Kitana, that, that you know, worked on our technologies for uh, self-amplifying RNA, which I, I think is a, you know, it's a really cool technology to be used uh, in gene therapy and to be used, you know, for cancer immunotherapy. And, and they worked on that with, you know, with other folks in the lab on being able to take the self-amplifying RNA and demonstrate some, you know, some real therapeutic efficacy in, in vivo models, in mouse models, you know, in tumor models. And, and they took that and ran with it and were able to, you know, raise, uh, you know, capital and, and then create this very exciting uh, company. So, and I, you know, and I, I served kind of in a, in a mentor role to them. And so I, so I think that, you know, for these uh, startups to be successful, you really need to have, you know, uh, people that are kind of fearless, you know, if you will, and just really want to, you know, uh, make a difference. And, and when you have, you know, motivated graduate students and motivated postdocs and, and you know, motivated undergrads too, that's cool too, uh, you know, and, and are, are excited about particular technologies and, and want to, uh, you know, make a real difference in the world, in, you know, in the real world, I, I think that's, you know, that's the kind of the recipe for success. So uh, would you have like uh, one or two like short, quick advice for like, you know, students like me who perhaps want to go into uh, synthetic biology uh, uh, and or apply, you know, some of these technology into uh, into my research? Yeah, so, so I mean, it's a great question. I think that, um, you know, you want to pursue, you know, there are different uh, strategies. Uh, you know, and it, it really depends, and they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, you know, but one strategy is, you know, to think about cool synthetic biology mechanisms, cool devices, cool circuits that you can build where you're all of a sudden able to take these, uh, you know, biological pathways and biological mechanisms and demonstrate new kind of control that was not possible before. And so you're starting from, you know, basic mechanisms and demonstrating that you can take these basic mechanisms and create synthetic biology type of devices and circuits to them so that, you know, it can do something that, have, you know, was not possible before. And then you can think about how to potentially apply them. 
So you're you're you know you're starting more from a technology, and you're thinking about how can this technology, which you may not know right away, you may not know right away how your new technology can be, you know, uh, in, used in a real world application, but you just kind of have this gut feeling, you have this notion that it could be used if developed properly, and so this is you know this is one path, and, I, and I'm actually. Uh, you know, a big proponent of that path. You know, the other path is to say, you know, here's an application, and here's a you know unmet need, or here 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 are challenges uh, for you know that are faced by people that are trying to solve this disease or that disease. And so, so I do think you know, so so those different approaches, you know, are coming at it from really different angles. You know, even from the different you know opposites ends of the spectrum and i don't think one is right the other one is wrong i think that they're both uh both can be very effective i think that if you incorporate kind of a mix and match of you know technology driven efforts versus kind of application driven efforts both of them can really lead to you know paradigm shift they can lead to uh, the development of new capabilities that can really help in real-world context. I, I think, you know, to me, the key is really that you're excited about the, the tech, you know, what you're doing. That you know that you're motivated. If if you're excited about something, you know, you 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 know, you work on it in the lab, and then you go home and you try to fall asleep, and you can't fall asleep because you're thinking yourself oh my god this is so cool i gotta figure this out or i gotta figure that out good things will happen thank you thank you so very much for your for your advice ron um so yeah really i believe like i i'm really excited about synthetic biology and i believe being able to program and engineer a biological system will actually bring us the next major breakthrough in uh, biology and medicine so this is really really exciting um, thank you very much, Ron, for your time and sharing with us today. Uh, it's been great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing all the cool stuff that you end up doing.